0: Good morning, church family. It is good to see you. I'm glad that you were able to make it out today. I know we have some that weren't, and hopefully they are joining us online, and we're certainly thankful uh, if they are. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. You're our honored guest, and we appreciate the time that you've taken out of your week to start uh, with worshiping God. Uh, last week we began, or actually a couple weeks ago now, we began a new series uh, called The Way. That's our theme for this year, and we are uh, those belonging to the way, and Jesus is the way. And if you were here last week, you may remember that we started out with a map, and we talked about uh, you know, how, how distracting it would have been to, to have been in a car and tried to, to drive a car and have one of these in front of you, and you know, we talked about how cell phones and how distracting they are, but this would certainly have been more distracting. We talked about if you were in uh, downtown Chicago and you had a, a map of downtown Chicago, but it was labeled that way, but it was actually a map of downtown Detroit, that would have been useless. It would have been frustrating. It would have been terribly difficult to have dealt with, and you would have been frustrated by that. Uh, but today we don't have that kind of problem, right? We, we, when we want to go somewhere, we've got our cell phone. Uh, I, I've heard this for a long time, but I, I looked it up last night on one of those Alexa or Google things, and I said uh, I f- tried to find out. You know, I, I'd heard for a long time that in our cell phones we have more computing power uh, than the the spaceships and the rockets that they sent to the moon. Uh, but I found out, according to at least the the source that I looked at, we have a million times more computing power. In our cell phone, the thing that we just put in our pocket, uh, than, than the rockets that sent man to the moon. That's amazing, isn't it? uh that they were able to do that with that little computing power and that now today we have such a great tool at our disposal i don't know about you you know I, you can do all kinds of things on your on your cell phone yesterday i was uh on a on a zoom call uh with uh, some people that were in south carolina and alabama and kentucky and and all over the place uh for for a board meeting for a board that i'm on and and while i was on that board meeting that was kind of boring i was doing other things on my phone uh with the camera turned off and my myself muted because you know it was kind of boring uh, and i wanted to do some other things. Uh, So you can do all kinds of things on your cell phone. Many of you could do things that are far greater and more complicated than than I know how to do on my cell phone. But one of the things that I think is the most practical that I've found on my cell phone is, is this right here. Flashlight. Just yesterday Uh, I was uh, needing a flashlight and I was downstairs doing something. I think it may have also been during that Zoom meeting and I was bored and doing something else. Uh, And and I needed a flashlight and I almost called up, hey, Benjamin, can you give me a flashlight? But then before I took the time to say that, I remember, hey, I have got a flashlight in my pocket. It was readily available and it was helpful. Christians, readily available and helpful. Should that be something that we should be described as readily available and helpful. And this passage that we're going to talk about today as we talk about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this, uh, this beginning of Jesus' teaching of, hey, if you want to be a follower of mine, here are some things that you need to do. Here are some things that you need to be. Here's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And when we think about the way this entire year, that's what we're trying to dig into is, is what does it actually mean to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? Because we want to follow Jesus because he is the way and we are those belonging to the way and we're making our way towards our eternity with God in heaven. And this passage Matthew 5:14 is the first verse that I ever memorized as a child and it's where we get this idea of this song. Will you sing it with me? Everybody get your light out. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine all the time. Let it shine. Oh yeah. Porter, I noticed while you were walking by. You weren't singing. I'll I'll get you later. Don't worry. We want to be the light of the world, don't we? Turn with me if you aren't there already. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. That'll be our passage this morning. Again, if you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 810. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. And we, we appreciate and we know... We're the light of the world, and we'll get to that in a second. But before Jesus gets there, after he's wrapped up the beatitudes that we talked about last week, these, this this spiritual process that we're we're growing and we're recognizing where we started, and we're we're trying to grow and to be more like Jesus, and the beatitudes kind of walk us through that. The very next thing he says in verse number thirteen, speaking to this large group of people who have followed him up the mountain, and remember it says that what his disciples came to him. If we want to be disciples of Christ, we've got to come to Jesus. We've got to come to Jesus and listen to him and obey him, follow him, do the things that he directs us to do. And it says in verse 13, talking of those people and talking about you today, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now we can make the, the really quick point about, you know, if, if, if salt's not salty, then it's, it's worthless. Well, Christian, if you're not Christ, like Christ, your Christianity is worthless. We need to be like Christ. If, if, we're, if we're not growing and, and acting and, and thinking and living and striving to do our best to, to be like Jesus, then, then we're missing something. And we're missing the most important thing. You can't be a Christian without Christ. Don't forget about Jesus and the things that he would have you to do. But salt, you, Christian, you are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Uh, two things primarily that it meant during the first century that, that, or that salt was used for. It was used for uh, preservation of food uh, and the, the enhancement of food. We, we generally don't use it too much to preserve today because we have refrigeration in and, and, and modern times and that's how we normally do it. We freeze things or at least we keep them in the refrigerator and, and that helps them last longer. But they used to use salt for that kind of thing in order to do that. And then also this idea of enhancing. We still use salt like that today uh, to make our food taste better and, and those types of things. But let's Let's, let's talk briefly about this idea of uh, preservation, uh, how it's used to, uh, to preserve. Um, there's the cell phone, there's the slide I forgot to click to. Uh, and then again, we're the, we're the, the salt of the Earth. Um, how, how do we, as salt, how do we preserve the Earth? How do we preserve the Earth? In Genesis chapter 18, uh, God and a couple of angels have come and, and met with, uh, with Abraham outside of his tent. And uh, and they're having a conversation. And then as that conversation wanes, uh, God and the angels are talking about, hey, we're about to go down to, to Sodom and Gomorrah because they need to be punished. And God kind of, I don't know if he verbally says this, if he says this to the angels, if if Abraham is there and able to hear it, but he says, hey, should, should I keep this from Abraham or, or should I talk to Abraham about this, what we're about to, to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? And eventually he decides to have this conversation. And he says in 1823, uh, after, well, this is what Abraham says, God tells him, hey, they're, they're wicked people and, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna punish them. Uh, and he says in 1823, Abraham does to, this, to this, uh, uh, this punishment that's been pronounced. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And he says, hey, God, or, I think he understands that he's talking to God. He says, hey, will you, will you do this? What if you find 50 people in, in the cities? Uh, will, will you preserve the people uh, if you find 50 people? And God says, yes, I'll, I'll preserve. I, I won't destroy if I find 50 people. And then Abraham thinks about Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, I don't know if I know 50 good people in Sodom and Gomorrah. So what, about, what about 45? And eventually he works his way all the way down. Hey, God, what if you find 10 people? 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Will you you withhold? Will you relent? Will you you not punish them if you just find 10? And God says, hey, if we find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, we won't punish them. Christians, you are the salt, this preserving agent of the world. What does that look like today? Turn over to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter three. uh, That's on page 1019 in your pew Bible. 2 Peter chapter three, verses three and four. 2 Peter 3. 3 and 4 starts this way, knowing this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fall, fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So here, here, not even... You know, fifty to a hundred years uh, after Jesus has has come and lived perfectly and died horribly and resurrected miraculously and ascended up into heaven, not after after Christianity has began, less than a hundred years, probably less than seventy years, there's already people mocking and saying, "Hey, you said he's coming back. Where's he at?" Where is he at? I don't believe you because things just are going along the way they've always gone. I don't believe you. Go down to verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some consider slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And then the earth and its works will be found out. Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Let, let, me, let me suggest to you, you, are Christian, you are the salt of the earth. And that, that's not, not just empty words. What does that mean? You are the preserving agent of this world. Let me suggest to you, do, do you remember in Genesis chapter 6, right before the, the flood Why did God decide to destroy the world? Because all the thoughts of men were continually evil. God says, Abraham, hey, if I can find 10 people in Sodom and Gomorrah that are righteous, I won't destroy them. Peter says, the Lord's not slow about his promise. He's being patient towards us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. When, when is Jesus going to come back? I, I, I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. God knows. He's the only one. Not even the Son knows. But God knows. But, but let me suggest to you that, that perhaps God hasn't come back yet because you're here. Because you're still something good in this world. God was seemingly unwilling to destroy the men who were turning away from him slowly until all of their thoughts only continually were evil in Genesis chapter 6. Is that what it's going to take for God to come back again? I don't know. I don't know that. But I do know that you are the salt of the earth. That your righteousness matters. And that God is preserving the world through you in hopes that more people will come to him you are the salt of the earth that makes a big difference not just in in everyday life but in eternity and when when eternity will begin for those of us who are believers we need to make sure we're a part of that The other part of it is you're the salt of the earth. You're also uh, good for enhancing. You're making something better. Again, let me suggest to you this morning that every time a Christian is in a a situation or a circumstance, the Christian should leave that situation better than they found it. Now, I know that's not always true for me. I know that's not always true for Christians. I know that's probably not always true for you, but you are the salt of the earth. You are supposed to enhance things to make them better. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have a bubbly personality though those don't hurt. But you don't have to have a bubbly personality, okay? It's not so much about your personality. But let me ask you this. As a Christian, what's your disposition? What is it internally that helps you deal with the things that you're dealing with externally? I would say there should be no more positive people on all of the face of the earth than Christians. Why? Because we have a hope that nobody else has. We have a hope that God is caring for us here now and that he's promised us something better. So, yeah, you need to make the, every situation. Yes, you and I need to make every situation that we are a part of. We need to make it better. We need to make it more positive. We need to interject some joy into the situations that we faced. Next, we think about in, in verses 14 through 16, this idea that we are also the light of the world. Verses 14 through 16. It says there, and again, I think this is powerful because he doesn't say, we'll, we'll reference what Jesus says about himself at the end of the lesson, but here he doesn't say he is, he doesn't say specific people are. He's talking to just a, a very mixed crowd of people who who probably mostly are not extremely influential, not extremely powerful, not extremely rich. They're just average, average, average people. And he says to them in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and he gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. Two things that we can take from that. We stand out and we give light. We stand out and we give light. I tried to look up last night because I was... I was curious, uh, what, was there a specific city that Jesus was talking about when he said you, uh, a city set upon a hill cannot be hidden? And I couldn't find one, uh, in the things that I, that I very briefly looked at last night. But one thing that I thought of is, is about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city Set upon a hill you'll notice in scripture every time that someone goes to jerusalem They always go up to jerusalem even if they're coming from somewhere uh, north of jerusalem They go up to jerusalem. There's a there's a symbolic significance there uh spiritually and 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 geographically Uh that, that you're going up to jerusalem So a city set upon a hill cannot be hidden and you can consider jerusalem throughout time throughout old testament and new testament history You know when, when jerusalem was right with god there was no better place to be And there was a place that people really thought about. And when Jerusalem wasn't right with God, when the Jews weren't right with God, it was a terrible place. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. It will be seen. People will notice it. You are the light of the world. You are that city set upon a hill. People will notice you. And when they notice you, what will they think about Christ? They are looking at you. When people look for Jesus today, you know who they look for? Christians. Isn't that scary? When people look for Jesus today, they're going to come to you to find out about Jesus. How bright is the light that you're shining? What kind of light are you shining? One thing that to, to just briefly mention when we think about standing out, uh, what's the difference between being a good example and being a Christian? Someone who's a good example is a good moral person who hasn't told anybody about Jesus. A Christian is a good moral person who struggles finds the righteousness in Christ and tells people all about it. You don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. That's why you're a Christian. Because you're not perfect, but you're striving to follow after him more like the way he wants you to and but also we give light in psalm 119 and verse 105 a familiar passage it says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path again uh i, I thought about earlier when when uh when i had the, the flashlight open on my phone i was going to get bj to turn off all the lights and and uh but i figured some children might freak out because every time i do that even though when i tell people i'm going to turn the lights off people freak out so i didn't decide to do that but have you ever been in a in a church building at night church buildings at night are kind of creepy places. Uh, especially with all the lights turned off, you, you want a flashlight during that type of thing. You know, lights, e- even small lights, make a great difference in a dark place, don't they? Even small lights make a great difference in a dark place. Brothers and sisters, we live in a dark world and you are the light of the world. You can make a great difference, even in a dark place. Turn over to Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, that's on page 978 in your pew Bible. Ephesians chapter five, verses 11 through 14 Ephesians five, eleven through fourteen. What else are we when we think about the light? Not only do our, do we receive the light from God's word, but we also are transitively the light of the world. We show people what is right, and and sometimes that's not always a, a positive experience. Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse eleven. Don't participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Sometimes when we think about being the light of the world, it is a positive thing and it should be a positive thing. But sometimes we need to recognize that when people have been in darkness for a long time and then you show them the light, they don't always have a positive response to that. So there will be some, some, some struggle, some, some negative interaction sometimes with being the light of the world. But we, we still need to be it, but we also need to be prepared for the fact that sometimes that's not always an easy thing to do. Thirdly, this morning, let's think about the law. Salt, light, and law this morning. Jesus talks about these things. In verses 17 through 20, notice what it says. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not com- come to abolish, but to fulfill for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall, be, shall pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, they'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does these and teaches them, uh, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 20 is what I really want you to focus on. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We think about the, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. If we want to get in a competition with the scribes and Pharisees about doing all the right things, we're probably going to lose. Because they were very careful to do all the right things. Uh to do them to the nth degree. You know, to, to tithe and to, to specifically count out every, every strand and every piece and every speck and, and just everything of, of whatever they were supposed to do, they were going to do it exactly. So if you and I were to get into a, a, a competition with doing the right things, even doing the right things the right way with the scribes and the Pharisees, we're going to lose. But Jesus says, hey, but if, you're, if your righteousness doesn't surpass that of the scribes and pharisees you're not entering the kingdom of god so we got to ask the question okay well well how can our righteousness surpass that of these other folks turn to philippians chapter 3 philippians chapter 3 let's read verses 8 through 11 that's on page 981 i believe 981 philippians chapter 3 verses 8 through 11 philippians 3 8 through 11 a passage that you know pretty well probably there Paul says, More than that, I count all things to be lost because of their surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, not based on what I can do from the law, but that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God upon faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You as, you and I as Christians, when we think about we are the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth, well, well how are we these things? Listen, if it's up to me, if it's up to what I'm able to accomplish, if it's up to my ability to do the right thing, to say the right thing all the time, any of those things, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fall way short. What about you? Have you ever been in a situation where maybe you didn't know it in the moment, but very, very shortly afterwards, you, you realized, man, that was the wrong thing to say. I should not have said that. And maybe you even thought you were doing something good, but you quickly found out, That you actually just made the situation worse. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. And our righteousness comes completely from Christ. We've got to recognize these things. Christian, you're the salt of the earth. Your righteousness comes from Jesus and comes from him alone. You're the light of the world. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, I, Jesus of himself, says, I am the light of the world. And the one who follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. This morning, where, where's your light? How's your light doing? How are you doing as the, the salt of the earth? Several years ago when I was uh, at my local Bible camp, uh, I had a, a skit that was done. And most of the time when you go to, uh, to Bible camp and you have skits, most of them are at the best silly uh, you could say other things about them and, and not so positive things, uh, but but this one was the the, the, ca- the cabin uh, cabins decided to, to do different skits, and, and this one was was extremely positive. It was one that uh, that I uh, will remember probably the rest of my life. It was one of the the young ladies' cabins, and so I've asked a uh, young lady Izzy to come up here and, and help me. She's going to just hold one of these things for me. Thanks to Kate Simpson for providing me with these because we didn't happen to have romantic candlelit uh, candles in our home. So uh, Kate had some, for whatever reason, uh, but she had some. So thanks, Kate, for providing those for me. But in this uh, in this skit that we had, uh, there was it was a, a girls' cabin that did the skit, and there were I don't know eight or ten girls that were standing and they just kind of faced the audience. Yep, and they they all held their their light and, and they sang the song, "This Little Light of Mine," and they just sang it. They were just singing it kind of over and over again. This little light of mine. And they sing it and they, you know, had beautiful voices. So it was just a, it was a good positive experience. And then, then there was this this character, this gentleman who was playing the role of Satan or temptation or sin or something like that. And he would come up to each of the girls and kind of sneak around, you know, kind of being, being creepy like we might think Satan might be. And, and, and slowly but surely, starting at, at one end, he would get to them and, and, and tempt them with something or say something to them. And eventually... Their light would go out. And when their light went out, uh, they kind of bowed their heads because, you know, their, their light had gone out. And, and, and slowly this, this, this little light of mine, it got quieter, quieter, and quieter. Until at the end, there was just one young lady left who was singing all by herself. This little light of mine. And Satan tried to tempt her. And walked all around her and sin and temptation and difficulty were there. But she just kept singing. And eventually as she continued singing, she was able to turn to the person beside her and light their candle. And that person was able to turn to the person beside them and light their candle all the way down until all of the young ladies had their candles lit again. They were all shining their light and as their candles were lit, they began singing. This little light of mine. Christian, where are you at in your life on something like that? Has Satan got you? Thank you, Izzy, I appreciate it. Has Satan got you and tempted you and dealt some some struggles and some difficulty with you? And has your light been put out? Have you allowed your light to be put out? Listen, you are the light of the world. It's important for people in darkness that you shine. It's important for brothers and sisters who used to be standing right beside you with their candle lit and singing and praising God and, and making a good positive example for people around them. It's important for them that you continue to stand strong so that eventually when given the opportunity you can turn to them and you can help rekindle their faith. These things are important. These are, these are beautiful. It's, it's beautiful imagery that Jesus uses as he's preaching this powerful lesson. But it's way more important that you are actually the salt of the earth, that you are actually the light of the world, because it will make a difference. This morning, if your light has been put out, we've all been there. We've all been there. And if you need, if you want to have your light relit, you don't have to come forward to do that. You need to get right with God. You need to, to pray to God and confess your sins and repent of those sins and come back to him if you're already a Christian. If you're not a Christian yet, then, then you need to consider uh, your faith and your relationship with Jesus and, and what you believe about him and if you're willing to follow him. And if you're willing to do those things to confess him as your Lord and, and submit to baptism where your sins are washed away, then you can rise up and you can be that light, right? now. But Christian, where are you? Where are you at in that line of people who are standing strong together, shining bright for Jesus? If you're not there this morning, we want to help you in whatever way we can. And whatever needs you have, we invite you to come and let us know about those things as we stand and sing.